Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast, where we talk about the tech companies in the sports and media entertainment space. Today we have an exciting guest on to talk about investing in high growth tech companies uh, in the sports and media profile. But uh, first, before we proceed, as always, please uh, follow, like our podcast and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website, sportsloft.co and follow our newsletter and follow us on socials at sportsloftHQ to get more information. So today we're going to be uh, discussing opportunities for investing in high growth tech startups and sports and why. And to help us do that, we're going to bring in Lance Dietz, who is a partner at KB Partners. Lance has been on the Sports Lab podcast before. So Lance, welcome to the Sports Lab podcast. Great to be back here, Yanni. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, a little a little intro about you. Lance joined KB Partners in 2018 as part of the investment team. And prior to joining uh, KB Partners, you were an investment banker with uh, JP Morgan, but also have spent a lot of time in the US Army as an engineer. So great to see that engineering background and skill set being applied in the world of finance. But I'll hand it over to you to give a little bit more background on yourself and uh, KB Partners and what you guys do on a day-to-day basis. Sounds great. Uh, you know, again, thanks for having me. A huge fan of the podcast and what you guys are doing at Sportsloft. Um, the background, the quick background here. So grew up a sports fan, played sports my entire life. Wanted to be a 6'5 point guard. This is the running joke, uh, but only made it to 5'11. Uh, 6'1 on a couple rosters. Um, <laughs> but went and played, played basketball at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Uh, which is in the Patriot League. So fulfilled that dream of playing D1 at least for a few years before I got hurt um, and studied economics and a bit of computer science. And then when I graduated, went and served in the Army as is, as is uh, typical and was an engineer officer stationed in Germany, Afghanistan, and the States. Uh, you know, it did a combat deployment to Afghanistan, leading teams of uh, about 25 to 30 soldiers, um, and then also spent a lot of time back here in the States uh, in a non-deployed capacity. But incredible experience. Uh, did that for just over five years. When I left the military, uh, my wife and I wanted to move back closer to family, so moved to Chicago, went to grad school at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business in the full-time program, and then after that, went to investment banking at J.P. Morgan here in Chicago. So working with companies doing M&A and capital raising in the industrial sector uh, for almost three years, and then joined KB Partners uh, as the founder was looking to launch our first fund around this intersection of sports and technology thesis. Uh, And so we did that end of 2018, early 2019, that was a 40, $41 million fund, which I'm happy to get into. And now we're at the tail end of closing our second fund, which will be substantially larger, but similar thesis around the intersection of sports and technology. So I want to take you back a little bit to what you just talked about and and give us your personal drivers for that. Was, were you looking to get into venture capital and the opportunity came up? Was it driven by the fact that it was the thesis of the fund was around sports and technology and therefore you were getting back to the roots? Was it a happy intersection of all of those? How did it all come about? You know, when I left the military, um, I had various friends who had gone kind of into the finance world. And so high level, I had thought I'd always want to get into the investment space, had no idea what that looked like. 
And when I went to the investment banking world at JP Morgan, uh, you know, got exposed to more traditional private equity here in Chicago, the city and the area is known for middle market buyout private equity. And so that's kind of what I thought would be my next step, you know, leaving JP Morgan. But to be honest, started to poke my head around uh, and got familiar with venture capital, uh, but wasn't at the time that well-versed on it and ended up speaking with a lot of friends who were in the space. And when I met the founder of this firm, a lot of things just really lined up, right? Had had a passion for sports, having played. I felt like the management and leadership experience from the military could be really valuable working with early stage companies. I also felt like my experience from Booth and also from JP Morgan in the finance realm would be helpful as we think about just transactions in general. So all those things came together in a way that I thought could be really compelling for what KB Partners was looking to do, launching this thesis around the intersection of sports and technology. The founder had always been in and around it and kind of wanted to wrap an institutional fund around that concept and that thesis. And I thought it could just be an, an amazing intersection of some of my background experiences and interests. Uh, and so a lot of other things serendipitously happened that made it easier, right? I had just finished you know, my, my third year at JP Morgan had wrapped up a couple of transactions there. My wife and I had just moved. So some big decisions in our life had been taken care of. And so I had the opportunity to consider another big decision, moving to a firm, helping become and launch a fund with just two other people. So when we started, it was three of us uh, on the full-time team. And uh, I believe some congratulations are in order. You recently made partner, uh, which is great news. Tell us about that and help us understand how much changes day to day for you when that happens. Yeah, no, thanks for that. With with the launching of Fund2, myself and my colleague, Steve Ahern, were promoted to partner. We also brought on a great guy named John Garabedian, who was a venture partner and LP in Fund1 and is now a full partner and GP in Fund2. And so now it's myself, Steve, John, and the founder, Keith Bank. Um, you know, a small team of three initially, everyone was doing everything. So, I mean, we're making changes to the website one day, and then you're sitting on boards the next. So it was a ton of fun. Like, it just reminded me in some ways of, of sports where everyone is wearing a lot of different hats a lot of times. Um, and, same, and same in the military. You know, I think the partner title didn't necessarily change what we were doing day to day. I mean, everyone was working with companies, everyone was sourcing, everyone was sitting on boards. And so it was really interesting just as a team to work work like that. Um, I think the partner title is helpful in a lot of ways when you're talking with companies, right? Everyone is encouraged and expected to go out and find opportunities and negotiate investments, uh, work work with the attorneys on the legal documents, and sit on boards. And I think the partner title is helpful for doing that naturally. So I wouldn't say there was a lot that changed on the day-to-day, but I think naturally having a team of, of three, now four partners um, just lends itself to being in the ecosystem a little bit better. So how do you juggle all of that? Because you've got 
boards that you sit on with investments, you're looking at deal flow, you're obviously analyzing companies that are coming in all the time, and you must constantly be looking to extend that pipeline and bring stuff in whilst also raising fund too, which is no small, uh, which is no small challenge. How does that work within the context of, of your partnership and also how KB partners look at the market and the opportunities that come through? I mean, this is the age-old question. Uh, it's it's something I I lament to with friends and colleagues at other firms, just trying to figure out better ways to manage all the time and and their responsibilities. Uh, I think as a firm, we've you know put in place some tech platforms that allow us to manage deal flow, allow us to manage fund administration a bit better. We also brought on another colleague. Uh, a person named Taylor Thornton, incredible athlete, amazing background in the finance world as well, who um, is essentially kind of head of ops for us uh, and chief admin officer that that does a lot of helping us professionalize our internal operations a little bit better. So I would say we've done that. And then I think it's, it's naturally, I think this business in some ways is a triage business, uh, to use a phrase from a colleague. You know, there's, there's always more people that you can be talking to. There's always more companies. If you're doing this well, like there's always more, more companies that are coming in the door. There's always more founders that you can work with. There's more investors that you can network with. There's more LPs that you can try to engage. And, and I think, um, I think it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to do it well. Like we try to be very responsive to everyone that reaches out. As we were talking about before the podcast, I, I, I am not perfect at that. Uh, it is a relationship business. And so we do try to um, be conscious of that and do the best that we can engaging with people um, in a timely manner. But I think it's, it's very challenging. Uh, And we're, we're definitely, you know, defining roles a bit better now on, Mm. on who maybe takes point on a few things as it relates to deal flow and funnel, um, who takes point on fundraising a bit more. But it's definitely something that we're always talking about. We're all, we're always iterating on, um, so that we can we can really get better at these processes. And and I th- I think one thing that is important is to continually think about how you can improve your processes, your structures that allow you kind of a bit more flexibility to accomplish all the things across fundraising, across sourcing, across working with the portfolio companies, et cetera. So having just gone through a a successful fund to raise, and we'll talk about that in a sec, but having just gone through that, what do you wish you knew at the start of fund one that you know now? I think our high level thesis remains the same. We think sports and the intersection of sports in a lot of different markets, which I can talk about, is an amazing space to be investing in. We think we're in the early innings uh, of this growing market, growing markets, plural, um, that sports touches. We think it's a part of the social fabric, especially of North America. It's deeply part of interest for a lot of people. Fans are passionate and it can be an incredible use case for testing technologies or incorporating technologies that then can expand to adjacent markets. And I think you know, underneath the, you know, quote unquote sports tech umbrella, we think about it in a few different ways. And I'll just lay these out quickly, but we think about health and wellness or human performance as one category, next gen media 
around sports and adjacent sports markets as another mm. esports and gaming, just giving the, the crossover that has been happening with traditional sports as the third fourth would be sports betting, which I feel like is pretty obvious. And then fifth would be things that enhance the live experience. And I think sports in general, athletes, teams, leagues cut through all of these. Um, and so we see it in a lot of ways as, as a wedge, a lens to these adjacent markets, uh, where we can be really, really helpful with companies that are tapping into these. We also do some like very, very sports ish deals. Mm. We did investment in a three on three ice hockey league that has a very strong media and IP focus that we think is really interesting. And then we have investments kind of in, in a B2B marketing tech company that maybe doesn't sound like sports tech, but their initial customers uh, were in the sports world in the health and fitness world. And so I think that's how we think about it. So that, that broad thesis remains the same for us. Mm. I do think when we were going out with fund one, like a lot of people saw sports as like this niche market. And so there was a bit of an education that had to be done explaining, well, you know, in general, sports is, is not necessarily all that niche. It hasn't been invested in historically from an institutional perspective for various reasons. But um, once you start to take the lens that it touches these things like health and wellness, next-gen media, gaming, the live experience, like those are incredibly large markets. You could build funds and people have around each one of those. And I think they also intersect in really interesting ways, as I mentioned, with just generally the sports sector. Uh, and so we just think like that's a very, very compelling thesis that leads us to incredibly large markets. And so I think we got that story right coming into Fund 2 and told it a bit better than we did in Fund 1 when we were fundraising. Um, so that's what I wish I would have known at the time. And then I think second, it really is just a matter of talking to a lot of people. Uh, and, it, and that's nothing new. I think fortunately for us, we started fundraising for Fund 2 kind of at a time where people due to the pandemic got comfortable with Zoom and fundraising over Zoom. So in Fund 1, we were in cars, like going to meet people. Fund two, we were able to do back-to-back fundraising meetings um, over Zoom, and people got comfortable with that. Now, granted, towards the end of the fundraising, a lot more in in-person meetings, of course. But I think for the first half of it, you know, we raised half of the fund within the first six months uh, pretty quickly, and a lot of that was virtually in terms of investment pitches and stuff like that for the fund. Amazing. So you mentioned, you know, the pandemic and the changing attitudes during during the pandemic, such as being able to do back to back fundraising meetings during Zoom and stuff like that. The other interesting thing is that it seemed to be quite a rife time for uh, investment opportunities and for money being released into the market, whether it's for new formats, whether it's for new technology. Um, I think I remember the last podcast that, that, that we did together, there was a question as whether you would describe the market as frothy. Uh, and I think everybody, uh, everybody said that, yes, it was quite frothy. Obviously, things have changed a little bit since then with, uh, uh, with a, a potential turndown, inflation running rampant, rates you know being treated in very different ways by central banks across the world. There's political strife in the Western world, etc., so how, especially with a, with a new fund having just been raised by, by you guys, um, how are you looking at the market overall from a macro perspective and how are you seeing 
the impact of deal flow? Are you more circumspect about how you approach things? Are you seeing as much deal flow? Are you seeing more or less competition from, uh, from other firms? Give us that 30,000 feet view. Since February, March of 2020 to now, it has been a roller coaster ride of markets, of economic conditions, uh, you know, political conditions. I mean, it's been incredible is, is an understatement and, and challenging too, right? Uh, you know, I think we've always taken a pretty long-term view to stuff. We, we haven't been deploying the capital in a super quick way. We've been pretty disciplined about valuations, even during frothy markets, which at times has been challenging, of course, right? Like, I mean, you're seeing pre-money valuations at 30, 40, 50 million with just an idea and a, and a decent deck. Uh, and I think the past few years, like the, the discipline and kind of the deployment cycle for us, although at times it was challenging when we were seeing like really interesting opportunities, probably is going to end up being positive in, in the long term. You know, I think now with just where markets have gone, significant correction in the public equity markets, as you mentioned, inflation, you know, political issues, war, it's, it's definitely a new normal. And I don't think this is anything new to anyone, you know, you've had some of the larger funds put out memos and videos about this, you know, businesses still need to focus on the fundamentals, you need to have enough capital to last. So that may be um, adjusting your like expenses or raising a bit more capital, you know, it hasn't really changed deal flow or our thesis. I think we're still seeing a lot of amazing opportunities, especially with those that, that are early on in their life cycle and especially the seed and seed plus stage. I, I think some of the businesses that kind of got ahead of their skis, of course, especially later stage, or, I mean, there's, been significant down rounds, especially in the crypto world, and businesses doing layoffs, which have been incredibly challenging. Really good, you know, businesses that are doing layoffs, but maybe got ahead of their skis. I think for us too, like we're internally debating, you know, now could be a great time to be supporting companies and founders in spaces that you find attractive with models that are sustainable. And at valuations that have maybe become more rational. And I think if you capitalize those those companies well and give them enough runway, you could build a really attractive portfolio in the next 12 to 18 months at prices that seem less frothy uh, than they were were a year ago, right? And, and, and I think if you have an edge and are a good partner, uh, I think founders appreciate that. Um, you have to be smart about it. You can't rush into things, but I think leaning in is like, a, could be a good strategy now. And we're talking about it a lot as well. I mean, I think first and foremost is, is naturally like supporting existing portfolio companies, uh, through whatever this is, or, you know, becomes in the markets or however long it lasts. But the other part of it is using it as an opportunity to lean into businesses and models that you like and founders that you want to support. Hmm. And talk, talk about that support, because I think that's one of the key things, you know, from um, certainly from my perspective, and listeners may know that I've, I've been through a few fundraising processes on the other side. Um, so it's always interesting to hear uh, what, uh, uh, what somebody who has access to capital thinks about it. Um, but one of the things that I've always 
really looked for in the partners that that we've chosen is uh somebody who can bring something else to the table other than just the money right um whether it is connections or whether it is a certain technology that can uh, that can help or really great uh advice or even something as basic as you know what here's office space and you don't need to worry about business rates for the next 24 months go right talk about how you guys view that and where you guys really feel you can add value in the world of sports and media technology sure I also love this topic and I love hearing from other investors. I love hearing from founders as to one, what do founders want? I think is an interesting question to ask. And then what is sort of the like most effective thing that you can provide without being overly in the weeds? Um, So, so I find this very fascinating. If you have more insight here, I would love to hear your thoughts and others. I think for us, like we definitely believe that, if there's anything we can do to help founders and teams just beat the odds, uh, that's what we want to do. And that takes a lot of different forms. Naturally, I think we're going into a business and backing a team that we think has the ability to overcome those odds without us. But if we can help them do that in any sort of way, like we want to make sure we have the time and resource available to do that. So Fund One was actually pretty concentrated. We only had 16 investments or so. And, and we had three uh, partners at the time, you know, because we wanted to be on boards, be helpful and be available uh, to support them really with anything. Fund two will do more than that, obviously, but we also have another partner. But it's the same same idea is like, I think there are probably three three categories that a small firm, four partners without a significant platform function. Like there are these other firms, of course, and some of the largest ones that have incredible teams, platforms that do a lot of the stuff you did in a very structured way. I think we probably take, at least at the time, more of a craft approach to it. And then we have some like structure and process resources that we make available. But a lot of times it's kind of the partner who's on the board or a board observer or or led the investment who takes point on being most helpful and then tapping into the other three partners where they can be helpful as well. But the three categories that or functions that I would like drop stuff into would be naturally we want to be helpful in fundraising and setting up the company for success for the next fundraise. We'd like given connections with other capital partners, downstream investors, et cetera. Uh, and, and, and just process there since, since we end up seeing a lot of fundraising processes. So fundraising is one. I'd say the second one is what I would call like strategic network or strategic connection. So within these categories that I laid out, we've built an incredible advisory board across those spaces, um, have deep connections in and around sports, media, health and wellness, gaming, et cetera. And so if we can help a founder or a team get to either a strategic partner, get to a customer by us leaning in and making that connection, we th- we think that can be like very helpful in them beating the odds. Like like I said, they may have gotten there at some point, but I think if we can take that task off their plate, we think that's really helpful. And I think a lot of that ability comes from time, like just building relationships with these uh, strategic contacts across these spaces over time and experience. And so. Um, I think having a category focus allows us to do that in a very curated way. And then third would be kind of what I would call 
business strategy and, you know, an ear to the founder, right? Like I spend a lot of time in, in Discord, WhatsApp, Slack, really just trading notes with founders about stuff that they're working on, things where we can be helpful and, and just like listening to things that they're working. A lot of times a mentor of mine at another firm, a GP at another firm, he said like a lot of times like founders and teams, and I'd be curious what you think, literally just want to like talk to someone, wrestle with stuff and, and like get a bit of feedback. And it's really interesting to me too, because I think like sports in a lot of ways is like that. And I think the military is like that. Like you help build these structures, like in sports, you practice a lot of plays, but when you get on the court, that out of bounds play rarely goes exactly to plan. But I think like having done that and having given like some feedback to those that are, you know, in the arena, as we might say, and allowing them to make those those decisions with someone to talk to about it, I think can be very, very helpful. Same thing in the military. And so like I try to make sure I carve out a lot of time for just being available, which honestly does not seem like all that new or all that impressive. But I think again, yeah, you know, I think it is incredibly helpful for building trust with founders, for building relationship and being able to like curate advice across the stuff that we see. I think actually in the end, like does compound for for what you're doing from a value add perspective. And then of course we think very deeply about business models and stuff like that and being able to help the companies and the founding teams think through that, think through next steps, next goalposts for the next three, six, nine, twelve months is another thing that we lean into. But I would say it's 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 more of a curated approach than a a a platform function. Maybe at some point we'll have more of a platform function, but it's more it's more of a curated approach across those three categories. Hmm. I think, you know, certainly speaking as a founder and co-founder of certain things, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Because I think people have this concept of entrepreneurs as all knowing, all dancing, you know, cult of personality kind of thing. And obviously there are a few out there who are like that, who feel like they know everything and, 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 and probably do a pretty good job building up a company. But the vast majority are people just like everybody else and they know what they know and you know, they also know that they don't know everything and they're plagued by self-doubt and, you know, which way do I go? Do I do this? Do I do that? And to have somebody who has a vested interest in the company and a lot of experience that they can lean on and be like, hey, you know, what do you think here? You know, what, what, what do you think I should do? Um, or you can have that conversation before you go rather than turn around after and have to justify something that you did because you didn't want to share it with the investment partner because um, you were worried that they might think you're an idiot. Uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a huge benefit and definitely something that's, that's, that's worthwhile. I do find this really fascinating. Again, like the value add aspect. Um, one thing I think is interesting that you alluded to at the end there is like, sometimes if you're a board member, it may be a little bit more challenging to have very candid conversations with founders. If you have not built that trust or that relationship in a way where they feel like they can be open, you know, like that's, that's all like, you know, every term sheet that gets submitted by someone, there's a discussion around board, right? Because I think, I think there's been some very bad examples of how that's gone. But, um, and so I think there's like an argument to be made and I think some have made this like, Hey, can't, can you be a better ear, like a better, you know, person that provides advice, um, without being on the board. Now, granted, depending on, how your fund is structured and what you've told the LPs, uh, you have to figure that out in terms of being on the board or not. But and 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 we, you know, take board seats. And you may need a level of right, control, exactly. which is just exactly. you, you just can't you right. can't get around but, that. But yeah. I think there are some interesting groups out there that that have said, hey, like, 
we're not going to take board seats, but we're going to be just as involved. Um, and, and there's maybe a more transparent relationship there, which I think is kind of interesting. The other piece that sometimes I go back to this and, and smarter people have said this to me. Um, and again, just drawing on like sports and military experiences and lessons and those that have done it well, and maybe some sports pop culture with Ted Lasso, like there's a part of it where like, Maybe you shouldn't be giving the answer, but rather helping the founder and founding team arrive at the answer through just really good questions. I was in a board meeting with another company, really fantastic other board member from a top tier fund. And I think the whole time was was primarily him asking questions around what the founder was doing to encourage the founder to arrive at the founder's answer is how I would put it. So I think I think that's just like a really interesting lesson that I've learned or am learning about how do you help the founder and the founding team arrive at kind of where they need to arrive without being the person that's saying it should be X or it should be Y. I think that's a fantastic and fascinating concept. Mm. And it's it's one that not many people get right. In our last podcast, we, we had um, a few VCs and a few of the companies that they'd invested in, the Sportsloft members. Um, and I think it was Ari from Fivo who had some investment from Sapphire and, and Michael Spirito at Sapphire. And he said it was it was fantastic when we hit the pandemic and what wound up happening was we had a virtual beer and we just talked about, listen, this is all the ways that this could go. How are we going to address this as partners? And to hear that, and and I know that you guys have similar relationships with companies in, in your portfolio, to hear that as somebody who's been on the other side and hasn't always had that is brilliant. I think that's that, that raises then another question, I guess, for you is, is there anything that you wish or that you would advise founders or people looking for investment to understand about your pressures before they start their pitch? It's a great question. I might answer a slightly different one. I do believe like we're, this is going to sound cliche, but it is a privilege. It's fun to work with founders. I mean, sure. uh, especially in companies that in like sectors that you have a really strong personal interest in, which I do. I think the challenge that we talked about before is just like time in time management individually. So, so like, you know, we try to get back to everyone it's impossible. Sometimes probably our like turn down emails aren't aren't as long as they could be. Or we like don't ask the right questions and that leads to us like passing. So I think I think we're trying to get better at that, of course. And I, I didn't realize this before I started, but it is just very hard to be everything to everyone. So I think that's one thing. And like I would say founders have the more challenging job in actually building the business. <laughs> us us deciding to come along for the ride and try to be as helpful as possible is like is probably the easy part. So I realized that maybe us being busy in, in time management is like trite compared to what they're doing. But that is just a challenge, I think, for firms in general. And then I think at a four partner firm, everyone in our so we're we're very consensus based. So everyone has to give thumbs up to do a deal. And naturally, if I'm the one that's spending the most time with Yanni, I have a lot more insight into something than somebody else does. And so trying to convince three other people can sometimes just be tricky, right? Like, because everyone, especially at the seed stage, everyone has different views, why we should do a deal or why we should pass. And I mean, I think this is obvious across the venture landscape. I mean, you've had the very, like, you know, best investors in the world pass on you know, Twitter or Airbnb or whatever, and others that did that deal. So I think naturally, like at these stages, you may be able to convince one person, but then 
in the background, you kind of have to be convincing the entire partnership, which I think there are some very good positives to that as well, because you get a lot of different viewpoints, which I think is super helpful for decision making, super helpful for being uh, supportive of a company over time. But I think it's just also like another hurdle, of course. And so like, that's just something to be aware of as, as you're pitching, not just us, but like other firms, like there's, there's a time constraint piece and there's just sort of a, an aspect of partnerships that have very strong positives, but also require a little bit more work on the back end as well. Um, you know, I think the one thing that I would say is like, when we invest, even if I or someone else is like, quote unquote, leading the deal, you end up then getting the full partnership you know, behind you. So my colleague, John is on many calls with me with another company in our investment that, that I let in, but he has some background in, um, and, and Steve and I have, we've tag teamed a lot of opportunities together. So I think, I think just like, like examples there around how one person may quote unquote be on the board, but like you end up getting the full benefit of the firm as well. But I think naturally the challenge of that is like, you have to convince the full firm uh, and the partnership, which, which isn't an easy task. You know, you know, we've done deals where like we've been a bit mixed as a firm, but someone had significant conviction. And then we've also passed on deals where we couldn't get everyone around the table to go thumbs up. Uh, but someone else was like deeply convicted. So those are maybe a few things that probably plagues a lot of firms and are probably simple, but definitely real challenges, uh, I think for the investment process in general. So let's pivot a little bit and talk in in the final minutes that we have left here uh, about the sports technology market itself and kind of where it's going. Um, obviously, this is very prescient to you. You mentioned a little bit about your investment thesis. You've got a second fund that's that's about to go, so you're going to be looking at opportunities. Where do you intuitively, uh, given the experience that you have, see those opportunities developing? Where are you really excited to see potential companies and to see a real technology platform that can help deliver something in the sport and media world? Yeah. I mean, I think one, which we've talked about, and again, these aren't like super insightful thoughts, but I think we definitely have a strong interest in the intersection of sports, media, and Web3, right? Like we've we've made a few initial investments in a company called status pro, uh, which is building an AR VR sports gaming platform, just got an NFL license for AR VR simulation rights. And we'll be dropping the first game, uh, around the NFL season. You know, we think that's a really interesting opportunity around sports slash gaming slash metaverse, kind of whatever you want to call it and entertainment. We have others that are trying to bring, Gen Z into the sports world in a virtual way that is heavily focused on community and experiences. That's a company that that funding round will be announced into July. It's a company called Stadium Live. So those those are two that I think the intersection of sports and Web3, lots of challenges there as we've seen as of late with Web3 and crypto. But I think for the long term, there are a lot of amazing use cases that can happen in and around sports. Another one, we did a small investment in a blockchain ticketing company uh, that my partner Steve led. And there's probably a lot to be done there in that space. But we think just the the technology, the blockchain technology, how you make it interesting, but at the same time, easy onboarding for users in that space has a real significant runway 
for changing the landscape as it relates to sports, in that case, in the ticketing and fan engagement space. So those those are two. In that, with something like, like blockchain, which inherently is a complex technology, obviously, and there's all sorts of different protocols and different platforms and, and stuff like that. How much of that do you guys dive into and really understand at a granular level? And how much do you count on the founders um, being able to explain to you why their idea is something good? Because you can't get into the granularity of all of it, right? Like, it's just not possible. So where do you draw that line of being a category expert versus understanding enough to make a, a wise investment decision? Yeah. You know, transparently, we're not experts on Web3. We're trying to get smarter there. Of course, these investments that I alluded to, we've also been investing alongside partners that have more expertise in some of those spaces than we do. And so we also, like I alluded to before, have built an advisory board across these spaces. So we've reached out to them as well, like former CEO or head of BSE Global, so the parent company of the Nets, for example. Hey, what do you think about this offering, this technology? You ran businesses that might have leveraged that. So from a use case perspective, that's how we try to get at it. We lean heavily on understanding why the founders think this makes sense mm -hmm. and how much technical expertise they have in that. And we'll also tap into other people in our network to kind of help validate that. Like I mentioned, we, we also like to bring in other experts in adjacent spaces two rounds that can be helpful and can help maybe give us a bit more conviction around areas that we don't have as deep of expertise. And so I think that gets back to your point again around time management, like given funnel and given process and given how quickly things move, like you probably can't do all of it yourself in a way that is perfect. Right. And, and if you do, you know, to be honest, something's going to change in two years or three years that you could not have predicted. That's going to render a lot of that maybe not all that helpful. And so I think we try to get to like the crux or the core components of why we think something is going to be amazingly successful and or what we think could derail the business significantly and spend time there, either through our own expertise, our advisory board and LP network, or through like investment partners that we've gotten really to know well. Great. Well, we're coming up to our allotted 45 minutes, which is what I'm told is the ideal length for a podcast. So we'll start to wrap up. But as we do so, and before we move on to the thank yous and tearful goodbyes, uh, Lance, I'd love to hear from you. What are your favorite things about doing this gig and investing in sports and technology? And conversely, what's your least favorite thing? Great question. I'll like answer the last first. I think the least favorite thing is like, there are a lot of companies that I would love to invest in that we just end up not being able to. It doesn't fit the fund mandate um, for whatever reason. And I, yeah, I just wish I had more money to do that because I think I get really excited about a lot of different things that maybe just don't fit kind of like what, what a venture fund mandate looks like. And then similarly, I get to the end of the week sometimes and like have so much more to do that... Uh, that that sits in the back of my head. I'm sure it's the same for everyone <laughs> in any job like this, especially in the startup and venture world and the investing world. But but that's definitely real for me. Things that I love the most is like, you know, it feels like a puzzle thinking about should we or should we not make an investment in this opportunity? You're working with imperfect information, trying to piece things together. And I think like that is just a lot of fun and very interesting. So that's one piece I like. Second thing is I find it very fulfilling when you can do a small thing that is actually pretty helpful for someone in the portfolio or not. So for example, I was talking with a founder we've not invested in yet and 
they're looking for a working capital provider. It's in the apparel space. And someone I know worked with uh, on the board of another company is doing this now. And so it was like quickly able to make an introduction. And that's very small, simple, easy, but like it is really fulfilling when you can do something small like that. Or when you figure out, hey, there's someone in my network that would be great in terms of helping getting either support on something or they would be just a great person to be involved with this company. I think, and that comes over time as the networks build and things become reinforcing with the companies you work with. Personally, I get a lot of satisfaction when you can do something like that because it seems like you actually are, quote unquote, being helpful slash value additive. So I like that a lot. And then just generally, these spaces are awesome. The stuff that we're investing in is just super cool. And that's a ton of fun. Hmm. Well, we look forward to seeing the value addition with Fund 1 and also with Fund 2. Uh, congratulations on some great successes uh, recently. And thank you once again for joining us. Very quickly for our listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard, please uh, follow us and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating uh, or review wherever you get your podcasts. Go to our website, sportsloft.co and sign up for the weekly newsletter. And also follow us on socials at SportsLoftHQ. All that remains is for me to say a big thank you to Lance for joining us and for his insights. Lance, thank you. And we can't wait to have you back on the podcast soon. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This was a ton of fun. A ton of fun. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you soon in the Sports Loft. Goodbye. Goodbye.